Good morning, City Life Church. Good morning, visitors, friends, family, everyone who is listening to me. Grateful that you're here with us. Grateful for another week that we get to do this, pursue our faith of Christ together. And um, yeah, just really grateful. Miss all of you. Hope that we can be together in person again soon. Keep an eye for all of the betas. If you are not plugged into our social media, go follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, because that's where we will get uh, details out. Also, last-minute communications. Look at our social media, because we want people to be informed. And so instead of any confusion, we'll always have more than enough details up in our social media, even if we get forget to say stuff in person. And so I'm so grateful. Let's just jump right on in, because in all of my practices, that we've been over time, so we got to get it going. Uh, today, I want to talk about a short bit of my testimony, but just kind of really generally of what coming to Christ meant for me in a very real way and not just metaphorically, but in a, what it meant to me and has meant to me all of these years. You see, I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church. I grew up not with Christian friends because I never lived near my church, but I grew up my whole life knowing about Christ, hearing his stories, my parents making me read the Bible because I was uninterested for most of it. I remember Christ has been in my life ever since I can remember. And yet, I spent my youth, to no fault of my parents, because they did a great job teaching me and embodying Christ. But because I, the kid I was... What I was, I just, I spent my youth asleep, emotionally and spiritually asleep. Fast forward, when I went to college, was the first time that Christ grabbed a hold of me in a real way, in a profound way. I remember I went to a Christian college, but I wasn't looking for Christ. Like, that wasn't the reason why I went, but I went because I liked it there and I felt called there. And and in my first week there, I remember going to a worship event with one of my roommates. I remember being there half-heartedly, but wanting to be there. I remember I'd never heard an audible voice. To this day, I've never heard God audibly speak to me. But in my heart, I knew that He was talking to me and that He gave me an assignment. And I knew that I had to go to my dorm room and spend that night making up my mind. Would I follow Him or not? Again, I didn't hear a voice, but I knew that I knew that that was what he was telling me to do. And so I listened. I went to my room. I closed the door, locked my roommate out. And that night I spent a lot of time soul searching. Would I give myself to this or not? I came out of that night. I had made up my mind. Yes, okay, I'll give this a shot. I'll I'll pursue you, Jesus. I say yes to you. Let me grow in you. And I I went through a lot of change in those four years of college. I grew so much. And yet at the end, I still realized later that I was asleep. Still emotionally and spiritually asleep. And then after college, again, in the same way, I knew I had to go to my dorm. I knew that God was calling me to go and do this missions program that I talk about every once in a while in Chicago called Mission Year. I knew that that was what I had to do. And so I said yes, and I, and I went, and I, I fundraised, and I went, spent two years in Chicago. And in Chicago was the first time in my life that I felt alive. 
I would have been reflecting on that. I was like, the first time I gave Christ my whole life, the first time that I gave him every part of my heart, the first time that I said yes to him with no conditions, it was the first time that I was awake. And I don't have better words to explain that right now. I just knew that I had been asleep my whole life, emotionally and spiritually. That life was so dull and I had so many questions about, is this the best that it's going to get? Or is there not more to this? Or, Lord, where are you? I need to know you and feel you. I need to grow in you. But for the first time in my entire life, I, I would tell my boss, it's like, like, this is, this is real. Like, you know that this is real, right? You know, that I'm reading my Bible like never before, you know that I like I actually feel his presence with me. Like this this is so real that this is what I've been after my whole life. And I even emotionally feel alive. I would tell him, it's like I'm seeing life in color for the first time. That's what it felt like. It felt like every day of my life up until that season I had been asleep. And he woke me up when I said yes to him. And this is ultimately what we're talking about today. Today, we are continuing our sermon from last week. Last week was part one of the same sermon, and we're picking it back up. This is our last week in our theme and our section of Ephesians that we've been calling New Measures. New Measures ultimately does this. It answers the question, so what? So what about Christ? What does that mean? How does that change me? How does it change the way I live my life? How should, how does it give God access to my entire heart, my entire life, everything that I do, every waking thought that I have? So what? We're continuing the sermon series from last week about living visible lives. But even more than that, all of Ephesians to this point has led us to this. This is the summary of Ephesians up until this week. That if you are in Christ, remember in Christ is what Paul keeps on telling us, which means a life in Christ. If Christ is your Savior, if you are found in Him, if you are a new creature, new inheritance, if you are an heir, if you are an adopted son, if you are in Christ, then you are taught or being taught to live a visible life. Last week was all about living visibly, out in the open for the world to see that you are now God's light. You are God's light. And so you shine Him wherever you go. Ooh, and how does that change the way that we live our lives? And today we, we, we switch. We continue it and we switch like, oh Lord, okay, what are you continually asking me to do when I give you everything? And so let's address more of what it means to live visible lives. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 starting the second half of verse 14 all the way to verse 21. But before we even open up the Word, let's pray so that we can open it up together, unified, empowered by the Holy Spirit to grasp more of what He's saying to us this morning. So please uh, pray with me. Lord, we give you this morning, and we ask for you to fill all of it, to saturate everything that we do, everything that we talk about, everything that we're contemplating, turning thoughts into action, Lord. I pray that you would empower us to find your will and to do what you've called us to do, to get it a little bit more, to come awake, those of us who are still asleep. 
Lord, we give you reign over this entire morning, over our lives, over our hearts. Come and do what only you can do. Lord, show us what it means to be awake, to live visible lives, to be empowered by you. Lord, yeah, we just we just don't want to go forward if you're not with us. And so empower us to do this and do this together. Live it out as a church and be emboldened in our pursuit of you. We love you. Show us what it means to be your light, to be awake in this world. Give you all, all the honor and all the praise. I pray these all these things in your name. Amen. So today we're going to be again in Ephesians chapter 5, the second half of verse 14, all the way down to verse 21. And let's dive right on in. Let's read God's word. God's word says this. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the, understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen, church. We're going to jump right on in today, and we're going to talk about our first point, which is sleepers awaken. Today, as we explore what else it means to live visible lives, we're also going to have these statements that go along with each point. And the first one is that a visible life is vibrant. I hope that as we read this, the verse 14, we understand why I started where I did Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is a promise that we see in the Old Testament and in other places in the New Testament. Paul knew this as as a Hebrew, and he grabbed onto these promises, and he dragged them into the New New Testament in in his writings, because there's a promise in Scripture that when we meet God, then we are made to live our lives like we have always dreamt was possible. And so a visible life is vibrant. Let me read this quote from A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer is a super influential uh, CMA theologian, and he writes this about this very verse. He writes, this is what A.W. Tozer writes. This verse is often spoken to sinners, but it was not written to sinners. Ephesians was never written to sinners. It's not a message to sinners at all but a message to one of the best churches in the New Testament. Yet the writer says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Some of the Ephesians were in a comnolent condition. That is, they were morally good, but unenlightened. They were religious, but unanointed. It is perfectly possible for good, faithful, loyal church members to be spiritually asleep, being in a spiritual state that parallels natural sleep. Likewise, it is possible to be a Christian, to be a Christian, to be in the church and yet asleep spiritually. Then you have to be wakened suddenly. 
you will probably be ashamed of yourself, angry with yourself, frustrated and disconcerted and say, what's the matter with me? All this time I was almost awake, but not quite. I really feel this quote here. I, like To me, that speaks to me profoundly. I'm in my mid-30s, and I have some sadness to say that I've been asleep for more than I've been awake. That I've lived my life asleep, in a state of sleeping, not truly awake, not truly in passion, not truly living for Christ. And I've been asleep more than I've been awake. But I'm grateful to Christ. I'm grateful that not only did he bring me salvation, which he did, but that he also answers the question, is there more to this? Because in Christ, I think the answer is always that there's more than I could have ever imagined. When I met Christ in my struggle, I was awoken to Christ for the first time in my life. Christ shone his light on me and I and it made all the difference. And I wonder how many of us right now in City Life can read this and relate and say, Lord, I might, I might be asleep. Or, Lord, I, I've been told that this life with you is so great and I, I don't know if I've found it yet. Or, Lord, I, I don't know if I have this vibrancy I don't know if this passion that I read in your scripture, I don't see the incredible things happening. And I'm afraid that there's more to life than this. And the good word, the good message, the hope for us today is that, yes, I think Christ always agrees with that because there is always more for us. That Christ does not want dull lives for those who follow him. Instead, a visible life is vibrant with color, emotions, experiences, happiness and sorrow, that it has the highest of highs and also the lowest of lows because I want to be able to relate to my Savior and I want to know Christ and everything that he lived and and experienced, that I need to be more like Christ. And I take great comfort in this because I I feel I have been made awaken, I have been awoken, I am awake, whichever the proper way of saying that is. And I'm not sad anymore, but I'm happy because every day I have to live it with Christ. And ultimately, what new measure passages in Scripture to me, the reason why I love it, the reason why I am so happy that we have a God who isn't afraid to challenge us, to tell us that He knows better, that He is our Heavenly Father, and so He wants to lead us into better lives. The reason why I think that this proves that God is so full of love and not an angry guy just sitting up there in the clouds yelling at us is because He always reminds us, when He corrects us, He reminds us that it's not about the rules to belong. That it's not about the right formula to life. Do this, do this, then do this, and then the result will always be this. No, it's not that. It's not about conformity or assimilation. It's not about indoctrination or brainwashing. But it's about a relationship with our Christ. That if we are in Christ and knowing Him, if we open our hearts and throw ourselves at Him and give Him all of our lives, we are going to live our lives like never before. That we, when we say yes to Christ, say yes to a God who Romans 1.8 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And so please give me permission to speak this over the life of our church right now, over everyone who's listening, that if you are in Christ, which means that if Christ is your Savior, the one you think that this whole universe is made for, if you say yes to this Christ, and if you then build your life on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and if you build your life on the covenant of grace that Jesus offers us through his death and resurrection, that even if when we feel it and even when we don't, that we have been so transformed that the very fibers of our beings are so different that we are called to live visible lives and in living visib- visibly, that we are learning and growing in our being awake in Christ. And so where does, where does Paul take it from here? He said, not only do we just wake up and live the lives that we always imagined, but this is how we do it. The first thing that he brings up after telling us to wake up is about walking out the mission. Let's read verses 15 to 17 here. Paul writes this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I I have come to appreciate where Paul takes this. This is what Paul is saying. This is our statement for this section right here. A visible life is full of practical wisdom. The first thing that Paul tells us to do here in this section is look carefully then at how you walk. He's telling us, okay, Christians, people who confess Christ, people who have been a part of Christ's family for decades or 10 minutes, look at how you live your life. Think about it. That no one's life is lived on accident. That's not to say that everything in our lives happened because it's God's will. No, I mean, the reality of sin, abuse, brokenness, ugliness proves that we don't believe in fatalism which means that everything that happens is in God's will. No, God never designed all of this sin, death to happen in the first place. No. But what Paul is doing is saying, you know what? Most of life is lived in the arena of your choices. And so think about the life that you're living. If the so what section, if new measures is all about, think about your life, think about your life. Think about what you give time to, the decisions that you make. Think about your career, your relationships, how you spend your time, how you eat, what you eat, what makes the list of your priorities. And then also how you live is a response to evil, right? Because we know the days are evil. And the evil that is done to us, the evil that we commit, and the evil that we see around. What are the choices that we are making? What are the decisions that we are making to address all of these things? How do we navigate this world? What are the paths that we've deliberately walked down? That we've all been given, we all matter and have been given choice in our lives. That saying yes to Christ is no part about becoming a robot program to, to do the right things, but no, that we are still really, we're real vibrant people living our lives. And so how do we live it? First thing, look carefully at how you walk. And this begs us to answer the first question of how are you living your life? City life, let's look at how, you, how we are living our lives. What makes the cut and what doesn't? Is Christ getting all of our lives, the totality of our lives? Again, this has nothing to do with if you're a pastor or not. You can be in Christ living a vibrant life in corporate America and never step a day in church ministry 
and still be fulfilling what God has made you to. And then Paul takes that and he takes it even further. The second part of the instruction is not as unwise, but as wise. Because to Paul, following Christ is the, <clears throat> excuse me, is the wise thing to do. It's, and this is practical wisdom. Up until this point, we, we've been sharing deep theology that changes everything about what you think about yourself. But it doesn't stop there. All of this theology, Ephesians, the queen of the epistles, is not just for you to have pretty ideas, but it's to change and empower every aspect of your life and how you live it. And Paul gives us here two marks of wise people. People who take their Christian discipleship seriously show these two signs over and over and over again. The first one is that they make best use of their time because the days are evil. And secondly, is that they understand what the will of the Lord is. So let's address the first one really quick. A wise life is lived out in the open. And it intimately knows that time is a precious commodity, one that will never give in back to us. And so don't waste time. The Greek word here for that Paul is using, it refers to redeeming your time or buying it back. And it reflects the equality of time. That all that time works the same for every single person. And so what are you living your life for? What are you accomplishing? What are you doing? What have you turned your back on? And what are you pursuing in your life? You have one life to live. All of us have one life to live. And so that means we have one life to give. Every single one of us, everyone, believer or not believer, everyone is giving their lives to something. And so what are we giving our lives towards? I say this often, and I mean it wholeheartedly every time. I don't want it to become something that we are accustomed to hearing and just glaze over it. But what is the sum of my life contributing towards? Are we giving our lives to something that will love us back? Or do we endlessly pursue things that will never mean anything? Am I chasing something that will never love me back because it's an idol? And then a wise life also seeks to understand the will of God. Here we have to start saying, because we always need to be reminded of this, that God will always, 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 always be beyond us. He will always be greater, so much bigger, that my human brain, even the capacities of my brain, I can never understand all of Christ, all of God, that he will never be a puzzle that I figure out. So the second I think I own God or have figured out how to fool him, I'm like, we're on the wrong foot already. But God will always be beyond me, but his will has been made clear to me that a wise life, a visible wise life, understands, read this book and sees over and over and over again that we serve a God who loves that we serve a God who has been pursuing us, that we serve a God who wants to be known, who is personable, who has showered us with grace and mercy and opportunity after opportunity. Acts 17 talks about how God has ordained everyone's life, the exact time and place that they live it, because it's the time and the place that they can best seek the Lord. And that will always be beyond my understanding, but every day of my life, I want to pursue knowing God's will. I, I, I look at Jesus and I look at the example that he left, that even he, the Son of Man, prayed that the Father's will be done over his own. And if Jesus prayed that, then I how much more do I need to pray that?
Nothing in life is more important than my pursuit of discerning what pleases the Lord. My greatest joy in this world, what will make me most alive, the boundaries that I will flourish in the most is when I can say I am in the boundaries that God has given me, that I am pursuing what God has made me to pursue. That both generally and my pursuit of Him, remember we talked about the Shema a couple weeks ago, to love God with everything, yes, that I'm doing that, but then I, that I also know specifically what God has made me for because I'm alive and pursuing it. A life of wisdom is a life that is meaningful, aimed to find God's will like an arrow. And so this leads us to the best part. To me, the best part of what it means for my daily life and all of Ephesians so far, the Spirit's filling. Let's read verses 18 to the end here. It says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the best part. This is the purpose of life. This doesn't get any better than this. A visible life is saturated with the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'll say that again. A visible life is saturated with the presence of the Holy Spirit. I appreciate the comparison that Paul is using here. And I don't think it's one that just flies out at us right from the get-go. Paul, for some reason, is saying, okay, you know what, don't be filled with wine because that's debauchery. I'm like, okay, I mean, we haven't been talking about wine at all, so I don't know why this is coming up, Paul, but okay. Uh, He says, don't be filled with wine because that's bad. That's like, that's sinful. That's not nice. That's um, ugly. But be filled with the Spirit. I'm like, okay, but what does that really mean? I love the images that he's playing with here. And allow me, to, well, allow me to break this down. Alcohol or wine, to us, it seems like something that is liberating, right? It's a liberating experience. It's adding to our lives, we think. I, I think deep down inside, we think that alcohol, can, what the feeling of alcohol is, is that, okay, we're adding something. We're, we're making space for us to relax or have fun or do any number of things. I was like, ah, oh man, I'm so tired. Work was so stressful. I need to sit down, relax, and get a beer. Or I need a shower beer. Side note, I do not recommend shower beers. They're just gross. The mixture of the hot water and the cold beer, it's just, I wouldn't suggest it. Uh, shower beers are not as great as they seem. Or how many times have we seen on TV or a show or a movie or heard ourselves even say this, oh, my kids are driving me crazy. I need a glass of wine today. I need a shot to relax. And this is, this is what Paul is playing at here. He's saying that, you know what, wine, anything that you can go to in this world that you think will create space for you to relax, for you to be more yourself, for you to think, or any stimulant, You know what? Actually, wine isn't actually a stimulant. It's actually a depressant. 
that the things in the world that we use to deal with our issues, none of them, every single one of them will fall short because they're actually not giving us anything. They're taking things away from us. Instead, the solution is don't turn to any, don't turn to wine, don't turn to alcohol, don't turn to any of the things here on this world. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Greek here says to be filled and continuously filled every day of your life. Continue to be filled. It's an ongoing event. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then every other day after that, continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is why. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the most famous preachers in the 20th century, rivaled maybe by only Billy Graham, so impactful, so well-known, one of the most famous pastors in, in modern world, who was also a medical doctor before he became a pastor, he wrote this on this exact passage here. Wine or alcohol, pharmacologically speaking, is not a stimulant. It is a depressant. Take up any book on pharmacology and look up alcohol, and you will find always that it is classified among the depressants. It is not a stimulant. It depresses first and foremost the highest centers of all the brain. That controls everything that gives a man self-control, wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, balance, the power to assess everything. In other words, everything that makes a man behave at his very best and highest. What the Holy Spirit does, however, is the exact opposite. If it were possible to put the Holy Spirit into a textbook of pharmacology, I would put him under the stimulants. For that is where he belongs. He really does stimulate. He stimulates our every faculty, the mind and and intellect, the heart and the will. Listen to what Paul and Martin Lloyd-Jones here knew, what they got, what they really understood. Is that there is nothing in this world, there is absolutely nothing in this world, I'll say it one more time, there is nothing in this world that is better to be filled with than the Holy Spirit. That there is nothing that will fill you like the Holy Spirit. That everything that you turn to, to fill all of your cracks, all of your pains, all of your woundings, all of the things that you know are way too big for you to deal with on your own, everything that in a, in a moment of on pure honesty that you know you cannot control, that nothing is better to be filled with than the Holy Spirit who makes you who you were truly meant to be, who makes you everything that's good about being human, everything that is positive and still carries the image of the Lord is found when we're we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that everything else that we can put inside of us will suppress us, will make us less of who we were meant to be, and ultimately put us back to sleep instead of truly helping you. Alcohol, money, career, drugs, sex, attention, success, popularity, recognition, and even religion, and anything else that you have ever turned to to make sense of what you're feeling inside. All of that, the best of what it can do is put you back to sleep. It's only the Spirit of God that can come into your heart, into your soul, into your spirit, 
and give you the life that you have always dreamt of, of giving you peace that just permeates every part of who you are until you cannot hold any more and make you feel like you're living for the very first time. Everything else will put you to sleep, but the Holy Spirit is what wakes you up. That God is the only thing that I have ever known that has ever existed that can do what Ephesians 1.29 says, that can fill all in all, that can touch every area of my heart that I know is broken and needs help. That a visible life is saturated with the presence of the Holy Spirit, a fully embodying wisdom that is only accessible to Christ, from Christ, And that His Spirit just touches every part of my life and I'm no longer fragmented or compartmentalized, but I live this one life that's visible, directed to Christ. Paul here includes four qualities of life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. We use these to look at our lives and say, okay, which one of these do I have? Thank God that I have those. And which ones do I not have? Because I want to be so embodied and filled by the Holy Spirit. We can't give this enough time today, but this is our homework assignment for this week. Look at these four. Look at these four here, starting in verse 19, and see which ones of these you have in your life and which ones you do not. The first one is that you're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which aka for us, it means that we live in harmony, true harmony and peace with other believers. The second one is making melody to the Lord with your heart, a.k.a. that your heart is in concert with God, making beautiful music towards Him, just being utterly just so amazed by who He is. That's the second one. The third one is giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, a.k.a. that you are thankful to God through Jesus when life is beautiful and when life is devastating knowing that you are in the hands of the one who can care for you no matter what your circumstances are. And then the last one, which to many people is the most challenging, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, a.k.a. that you are able to lower yourself to everyone to serve others. I have found that I, my life is only full when I am pursuing Christ with everything that I have. And when I say yes to his spirit and and the mission and the plan that he has made me for. And so let's conclude this a little bit. Last couple of points just for us to consider to have something that is meaningful and helps us to put this into practice. Last week and this week, our whole premise, everything that we've tried to communicate is that when we meet Jesus, We are meant to live visible lives. That we are made into God's light to go out in all of the world and not try to be in light. The the picture here is not, okay, I'm going somewhere, so be light, be light, turn on, turn on, turn on, check to see if you're on and on. That once you are in Christ living for Him, that you are made to come alive and that now you are His light shining everywhere that you go, whether you want to or not. That there's no need or reason that you can't live a life in Christ and live it in secret or be hidden or to be compartmentalized. No. 
But as God's light, we shine everywhere that we go because that is who we now are. That we are his torches that go out into the lost world. And so the measures of our life need to show that we actually believe. We need to evidence that we live for Christ and that we believe everything that scripture says about him to a world who is lost and does not know him. And our last lesson in our new measure section of Ephesians, our last so what does this mean conversation here is that we are called to live a life that is out in the open, that is clear for people to meet Christ in. First thing is to wake up and arise so that Christ can shine on you and allow God to shine through you. Christians, that we can wake up and live, that we don't have to be in this place anymore. We're like, I think there's more to life than this, or man, this is not what I was told that this was going to be like, or I always imagined that it would be so great and fun, and it will never be perfect all of the time. We will never feel it all of the time, but there is always more to life than this. Lord, wake me up. I need to wake up. I need to live a meaningful life for you with you. Then the second thing is that Christians be wise. Think about the lives that we are living because we only have one life to give. And so I want to live it to the fullest, knowing my maker and pursuing everything that he has built me to do. All of the passages, the beautiful passages in scripture where he says that he knows me intimately because he made me and he made me to trust him. I want to know that. And then lastly, for Christians to be so filled with the Holy Spirit, be so different because of the filling of the Spirit, the only one who can fill every part of us, the only one who can make us truly come alive, the only one who actually satisfies our every need, that I don't have to turn to all of these worldly things, I don't have to be chasing all of the wrong things to find Meaning that, man, I have been searching from the day I started searching for something that is worthy and meaningful. Holy Spirit just empowered me to live a life that I have always dreamt of doing. Where I see you working powerfully in me and around me. And so church, this is our last new measure sermon. That our lives are important. That they're significant. That the decisions we make show us what we really believe in. And so let's get together in our groups now. We're going to be joining our each MC calls. Email us if you are not connected. Email me at preese at citylifenj.com. If you want to be connected to a group even right now, we will put you in a group right now. We want to be connected. We want to be pursuing this life that is just so empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so church, let's jump on these calls. And let's process the sermon a little bit and see how we can make this as practical as as it was always meant to be. All right, church, here are our prompt questions for the day. These questions are really vulnerable. They're really meaningful. And so let us have freedom to not answer Sunday school answers, but to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with where we are in life, and to be vulnerable with one another. Let's put this into practice so that we can, as a church, be holding one another up and actually pursuing this life that that I really believe we all want down deep in our hearts. 
And so here's prompt question number one. Do you feel awake? When I read verse 14 here, does that describe you? Do you are you confident that you are awake? Prompt question number two. What is your life's work going towards? If we think about our lives, it's not about being in ministry. Ministry is not the only way to pursue it. It actually often destroys people's pursuit of Christ. Or is the sum of your life headed towards what God has for you? And prompt question number three. Have you experienced the filling of the Spirit? I know for some of us this might be like a really Pentecostal term, and I'm not talking about this high emotional event, though it is often accompanied by that. Read Acts 2 when the disciples uh, were filled for the first time. But no, is your life lived out of this certainty, is out of this foundation that you are filled with the Holy Spirit and that it empowers you to do much more than you ever even imagined was possible and even dreamed that you were capable of? And so, church, we love you all. Thank you for joining us. Jump on these MC calls. We will be together soon. Keep an eye out for all of our beta announcements. We love you. We cannot wait to be together. Uh, We'll see you on our MC calls this week, and we love you. Uh, Reach out to us if you have any questions. We would love to connect and hear from anyone. All right, church, love you all. Bye.